0: This is Love, Recovery, and Rock and Roll, a podcast all about stories of recovery from substance abuse. I'm Amy.
1: And I'm Chris. And you can follow us on Instagram at loverecoveryrr on Twitter at Love Recovery RR, and on Facebook, we're simply under Love Recovery Rock and Roll. I'm or not... the
0: username Love Recovery RR. I know, it's it's weird for that consistency.
1: Hmm. That seems a little too weird to me. (laughs) So welcome, everybody. Uh, Today's episode, we're going to be talking about the week of detox that I spent. I will share my experience, and Amy will share hers. We'll kind of go back and forth and take it from there.
0: Back in November of 2017, that's when we held Chris's Intervention. For those of you who haven't listened to the Intervention podcast, I think it was episode 3... And then we did also a follow-up on episode four, which is, you know, the last we've really got into your story. Uh, we had my brother-in-law and sister join us and share their experiences as they assisted with the intervention and also getting you into detox. But one thing that we've been reached out to is to share, what is it like? People want to know, what is it like to be in detox? What is it What is it like to be in rehab? So, here we go.
1: Yeah, this will be a, sort of a series, but probably not in order. But we're going to go through detox, then residential, and then day treatment, and IOP, and aftercare, etc., cetera, etc. cetera, et cetera. So, uh, after the intervention, uh, when uh, it was decided that I was going to go into detox... Um, They had already been working on finding me a bed, and uh, I ended up going to Highland Ridge. Mm -hmm.
0: Which isn't too far away from where we live. It's uh, in the center of the valley of where we're located, and it's a place that my family uh, sister and brother-in-law knew and had referred people to before. We checked you in after midnight. It was late.
1: Yeah, I know it was dark outside. That's that's about my concept of the the time.
0: So technically it was, I think, November 12th of 2017. And I think we had had packed a bag. I know I had packed you a bag, I I don't know for how many days, um, so you would have clothes and things like that. They had an intake, I think it was a nurse, Mm -hmm. that sat down at kind of a small conference room. And as one would expect... Asked us for insurance information, had you fill out several sheets of just medical history, personal information. And then, of course, they needed a copay. That's what I remember. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I think you can expect is, depending on how your insurance is structured, because it was after hours and they couldn't run insurance and see what it would be that we would pay. They just told us to anticipate about a $4,800 copay. But that would come the following days.
1: Yeah, and and pretty much most of that uh, that piece of entering detox is a little foggy to me. So your recollection is going to be far more accurate than anything I remember.
0: Yeah, you weren't feeling too great. I think you had had some beers as well as didn't you say you took some pills mm. right toward the end? So your yeah. disposition had changed. Oh, and I should note that I don't think it ended up being $4,800. I think it no. ended up being like a little over 1000
1: 1100 and change.
0: Exactly. But that's just something you can anticipate. Uh, and, and you may not have to pay anything at all if you have really good insurance.
1: Yeah. So I went in. We took care of that. I do recall after that process, uh, they took me back into an exam room, uh, drew blood, took a urine sample. It was pretty similar to entering jail i'd imagine just just barely shy of a full body cavity search
0: did you get a prison jumpsuit though
1: no i wish i would have had one though some of the positions they put me in the search was a little rough
0: lies lies that's true are you serious yes. you never told me this before well it's, it's- it's you all know, coming it out. Mentally
1: now. scarring.
0: <laughs> we probably should have had a therapist join us for this episode. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'll, I'll get some therapy here in a couple of hours.
0: Um, did you go right to bed?
1: No. Um, that process, if just guessing, was probably about an hour to an hour and a half. Uh, through that, and then when they got done with that, um. I just asked if, uh, cause one of the nurses, she was really friendly and, and very compassionate. And I wanted to have a cigarette, but I didn't have any cigarettes with me. And she kindly gave me one of hers, took me outside and we smoked it. And then they took me into the room. And again, I, I have no idea what time it was at this point. Um... The, the bed was about three feet wide. It was a rubber mattress that was maybe two or three inches thick on top of a wood slat, maybe two and a half feet off the ground. And uh, so I just went in there, and um, I was pretty tired at that point. I didn't know if I'd be able to sleep or not, but uh, uh, the, my cellmate, he woke up when, as they were bringing me in and he had a few encouraging words he was really nice I'll talk a little more about him uh, but they put me in the bed and the next thing I remember was waking up the next day sometime between 1 and 2 p.m. I had just missed lunch but he had grabbed me some food to go and left it in I guess what we call the conference room where, where they would have their little meetings and stuff or, or our classes if you will and so I woke up and really still technically i'm I'm calling this day one, and uh, went in and ate some cold food. I, I don't even remember what it was, but it was pretty cafeteria, but it was satisfying for a hungry appetite. And I ate and uh, I went and laid back down for a bit and didn't go back to sleep, but uh, he came back in and sat down and officially introduced himself and. And, uh, he was a really personable cat. I I really liked him a lot. Um, we hit it off right away. He was probably about my age and, uh, he was in his, uh, eighth attempt at treatment. He was actually going to residential treatment at Highland Ridge, which if you're there for residential, you're staying in that wing that they take you into detox. So, uh, story he did share with me that I just I can't believe I couldn't remember any of it but the nurse came back in at about 6:30 in the morning just to take my vitals again she had to take more blood and um apparently I was kind of just mumbling incoherently and and she finally asked do you know where you're at and he said I emphatically stated jail and he said it it, you know him and the nurse both busted up pretty good so but i don't recall that piece of it i I was you know i couldn't have been asleep for more than two hours by that point i'd imagine but uh, that's just a guess on my part so
0: that sounds about right because i don't think i got home until about four or five a.m it was late you know we got you there late Luckily, it's a 24-7 hospital, so they don't have hours on when you can come or when you can leave, which is great because, you know, you never know when somebody's going to want to start getting some help. I crashed, I think, about 5.30. I was tired, absolutely tired. And I can't remember exactly how long I slept, but I don't think I slept as long as you did because I was dealing with a lot of stress and new information and trying to make sense of it all. I remember getting back home and your son and his wife had stayed, crashed on the couches because they wanted to know what was going on in the latest news. Your daughter and her husband were asleep in the basement with their kids. And they were also eager to understand what was going on with dad. The next day was pretty interesting, although I guess you could say it was the same day, but later in the afternoon we started to look through the house We wanted to make sure we found all of the drugs, all of the substances, all the paraphernalia and cleared it out. And we did. And we found a lot. We also wanted to piece together who was part of this drug circle and who was contributing to your addiction. So we started to go through your cell phones and piece together a lot of information of who was contributing whether you were buying from them or swapping or both. And that really helped us get a lot of information on who we could trust and who we couldn't trust. There was one interesting exchange, and you would often log them under a different name than what their real name was.
1: Mm -hmm. Sharp.
0: (laughs) And I couldn't quite make sense of it all but it seemed suspicious and it seemed drug purchase oriented if that makes sense well,
1: it makes perfect sense since it was drug purchases
0: <laughs> but it also I thought oh you have a relationship with this person it's very vague and I mean you weren't always outright saying I'm looking for meth or I'm looking for pills of a specific brand you would just kind of try to set dates and times with people. So I read through the history of this exchange that you had with this individual. And I immediately wanted to meet them to find out all of the information. So I started to text them back and basically said, hey, I need to meet up. I need some more or something like that. I kept it really vague. So I didn't out myself that I wasn't you. And I convinced them to meet me at a public place downtown. And I was going to take my dad cuz my dad's kind of tough. My dad's tough-ish. I mean, he's older now, so he's not as tough as he used to be, but he's also good at dealing with confrontation in a decent way. We ended up talking to your sister and her husband and they ended up going which was great because your sister is like good cop and your brother-in-law is how would you describe your brother-in-law mafia he's great <laughs> i i love him i mean he's just he's to the point he's blunt there's a lot of love but you know he he can be scary and ominous he he, he seems he's like he's
1: a very intimidating individual if you don't know him
0: exactly And he seems like he's right off of The Godfather. I mean, he could be a character on that wonderful... One of my favorite movies, so... Me too. To set the tone of who you're dealing with. And your son and his wife were going to join us as well. And we decided to meet at this... It was a bar, basic... Bar restaurant, brew pub. A pub. Because... What this individual didn't know is, while I didn't know their name, and I didn't exactly know what they were up to, through my sleuthing skills, I was able to find out who I was dealing with and what they looked like. That's because I just know how to find information based upon limited data inputs. I'll just say it that much. If
1: anybody needs a professional sleuther, I've got one of the best (laughs) sitting right here to my left.
0: So... We got there early, but I told the person that you were, as you, that you were running late and to get a place at the bar and just snag a seat. And so I think we got there like 10 or 15 minutes early and got a table right by the door so we could just see everybody walking in. And I eyed the individual and then I told your sister and brother-in-law, that, okay, that's that person. So what are we going to do now? (laughs) I hadn't really thought about exactly what I was going to say or what I was going to do. Well, I think I wanted to beat up the person. Not that I'm a violent person. I've never beaten anybody up. But uh, the thought crossed my mind. And I didn't. I didn't act violently at all. Your sister went over. And talked to the person. I don't know what she said exactly, but she was able to convince them to join us at our table, which was an intimidating table with Uncle Bill. That's what we'll call him, Uncle Bill. And your sister, myself, and your son and his wife joined us a little bit later into the conversation. They were running late So I basically said, I know who you are, and I'm Chris's wife. And he's in detox right now for addiction. So tell me what you know, and tell me what the nature of your relationship is with him. She was pretty ticked. She was mad, but really didn't act too mad because it's a public setting and just had asked, well, why didn't you just call me? Why didn't, you know, why did you surprise me like this? And I said, I honestly didn't know exactly what your relationship was, and I needed to meet you to get down to the bottom of this. Well, they ended up confessing that they'd been selling you opiates. Maybe you could elaborate just roughly how much you were buying per month from this individual.
1: About $700 worth.
0: Yeah. And that, what is what does $700 get you nowadays or two years ago?
1: About 700 milligrams.
0: Okay. And that that, that to me just goes right over my head because I don't, I don't,
1: eh. well, quick education. So a Lortab 7.5 has 7.5 milligrams of Lortab street value would be $7.50 each.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So. That makes sense. So this person had a prescription for opiates and they were turning around and just selling it directly to you or, you know, whomever would buy. So we talked for a while and I asked them, "Why are you doing this?" And this is what really pissed me off the most. "Well, I'm going to nursing school and it's really expensive and I have to pay bills." Henceforth, well, you know, "Hey, This is just what baffles me. I'm going to nursing school so I can help other people get better. But my means to helping other people get better is killing them with opiates. doesn't commute to me. I don't think it makes sense to a lot of people. I politely told her that I've gone to college a lot. I've got two graduate degrees. And I also have student loans. And I know how... Expensive school can be, yet I worked several jobs and I don't recall ever killing people by trying to go to college. There's my judgment for you. I'm still a little bit raw about that just because this person is working in healthcare, helping other people while killing people. Really bothers me. Uncle Bill also said his piece. I can't remember exactly what he said. But I think it scared this person enough that they never want to see you or any of us again. And that's fine by me.
1: Well, I mean, to not want to see me, I'm I'm pretty easy on the eyes. I
0: I think they fear the wrath of Bill. Mm. And also potentially my angst. They were te- terrified that we were going to turn them into the police. That I think was the biggest thing is they didn't want to go to jail. They were really scared. And that's how we left it. Confronting a drug dealer at a brew pub in downtown Salt Lake.
1: This was act one of Out for Blood featuring Amy.
0: I was really mad. I'm usually not an angry person but when angered i tend to go into a vengeful retaliation there's these characters on star trek the klingons they also are vengeful so here's my geeky sci-fi i felt very klingongy which is you know guys don't like girls that are clingy, <laughs> but they shouldn't like girls who are klingongy either
1: unless you're a klingon um uh... <laughs> So that happened probably more like day three or four when I was in detox, though, right? That wasn't no, not that, that happened. That, that was Sunday that was Sunday
0: afternoon. Oh, yeah, wow. I turned around and did that. And that wasn't the only person that we saw contact that with on your cell phones that was part of your drug using your cell phone was getting a lot of texts from different people. And it was interesting because, you know, I didn't know, we'll call them all the players in this, but I mean, a lot of these people were connected to you from some kind of social circle, I think it's fair to say, Mm -hmm. colleagues, friends, otherwise, but they knew you. It wasn't just like a seedy exchange from a drug dealer that you didn't know. I mean, you had relationships per se with these people, friendships and otherwise that basically connected you to them. And there was one individual that had texted you. I think they had you'd given them pills and, and vice versa, and they wanted to meet up. And I had reached out to you. That was more midweek and said, hey, so-and-so's texting you. I don't really want them to know what's going on because I want them to leave us alone. What can I say? And you said, just tell them I'm out of town and I'm set. I'm like, Okay ding response comes back who's your source they wanted to know where you getting your drugs because they wanted some too and that was pretty common i think with this individual is there was a sw- pill swapping going on
1: not just this individual that's would be a pretty common response i think for anybody trapped in addiction you know that oh i'm set i'm good i've already got some but thanks oh well can i have some too yeah, that that wouldn't be abnormal
0: And it's funny because I don't think anybody has asked me who's my source unless I was writing a college paper and they wanted to know the citation reference for it. So it was a little different for me. And I don't know as I ever responded. I think that was I just left it at that. But those weren't the only exchanges as word got out, although we kept it close to us. uh, There was other folks that ended up calling my phone trying to ascertain how much information I knew about your drug purchasing habits and I was really pissed off about that too because they never had my phone number in the past and now magically they have my phone number and are calling me in a very terse tone saying that you had gone off your effing rocker I think that was the phrase that they used you can fill in the blank with that and wanted me to call them back immediately really not a lot of compassion I think they did say they felt a little bit bad for me you know I had a two-month-old baby but it was a really weird voice message to leave for someone that hey they didn't know me very well I didn't know them very well and all of a sudden they immediately wanted me to call them back and I just texted them and said hey I'm dealing with a lot right now I I just don't want to talk. I think that was basically the last communication I had with them.
1: Yeah. And that, uh, and again, all of this is going on while I'm sitting in a detox center thinking I'm a superhero and everybody's out there worshiping me because I decided to get treatment. And so while I knew a little bit of it, I didn't realize how much effort was really being put in both by Amy as well as, As my family, um, people trying to just really both recover from the shock of the bombshell that had been dropped on them and and just gather information who who is who is truly friend and who is foe at this point.
0: And I will say I pretty much wrote everybody off from your circle at the beginning and it was this trust no one. Mantra that I had uh, until I was able to really dig through all the information and you know discuss things with your children and try to make sense of it all. Meanwhile, you were supposed to return to work on that Monday, and maybe you could share a little bit of a backstory of what went on with work and what they were expecting you to do on Monday.
1: So yeah, a couple of weeks prior to the intervention, um, because the method pretty well started its brain rotting process. I, I had uh, really started dropping the ball at work and I didn't even realize it. I mean, I felt like everything was going well and every time something went wrong, I felt I was able to convince myself that there was an explanation for it. But at any rate, I had uh, had my job stripped away from me. Initially, they were just going to fire me, but um, I had a company vehicle, a, a laptop, a cell phone. And, uh, at the time they told me that, uh, they were terminating me from my position. They took all of that right away. And, um, so I talked a little bit more with the, with the gentleman who, uh, terminated me. That wasn't my boss. It was his boss and basically the general manager of the place I worked for. And, um, you know, convinced him to maybe reconsider and just keep me inside on, on, at, under a separate role. And, um, he said he'd think about it, which he did agree to, um, basically put me on medical leave for, uh, what amounted to 10 days. And, um, I was supposed to return to work that Monday. This, uh, the intervention was Saturday night. First day in detox was a Sunday. And that is probably when you called him was Sunday.
0: Uh, Yeah, I also called him on that Sunday. And you were supposed to return to work and take a drug test because they knew that you were abusing substances. I think you had confessed to them that you were using meth. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the agreement to keeping this new job. I want to say that I didn't know about this. I had kind of gathered, I think, through an email bounce back, saying that you were on like a leave of absence, but I didn't know you were on a leave of absence when this was happening.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When your car had been taken, you went and got a rental car and told me that your car was in the shop. Correct. And then I got the email bounce back and I said, Hey, what's this about? And you said, Oh, you know, I've been having a hard time at work and, you know, how stressed I've been. And so they want me to take some time and then come back. But I also didn't know that you had lost your job and you were now in this new job that was, it, it was a demotion, less pay and so on. Really concerned and trying to make sense of things. You know, I before the intervention, I was encouraging you to go to a doctor, encouraging you to go to a therapist, whatever it took. And I think you were almost there to making a doctor's appointment, but you were also trying to placate me so I didn't dig further into what the real reason of your job loss was true. I ended up calling the leader who was your leader's leader to let them know that you wouldn't be coming into work on that Monday. And they said, Oh yeah, you know, Chris, Chris has an addiction problem. I'm like, yeah, how did you know? And that's when I found out that you had told them before you told me, And I said, well, okay, this is good to know that you know. So, therefore, he is now at a detox. He needs to get some help, probably won't be even returning to work after that. And they said, well, that's unfortunate because the agreement was he was going to come to work and he was going to take a drug test and that would decide if he was going to stay here or not. I said, well, he's not going to be here. It's a medical issue, he's got to stay in detox. So we talked a little bit about what was going on and I said, hey, you know, I'm pretty sure he should be able to get FEMLA to take care of this. And he said, yeah, you know what, let me look into this and I'll get back to you. I didn't really know how long you were going to be gone from work and our conversation also alluded to that when you do return, they were going to likely terminate you regardless of your sobriety i think i got a call the next day and they informed me about femla and that you could take it i think for 90 days you had to have doctor signatures which was fine i can you know i could get all that on your behalf and you had signed up for i think short-term disability so here's a plug for everybody short-term disability is your friend. This isn't just if you go to rehab. If you get an illness, cancer for example. I've heard people unexpectedly getting cancer, having to take a leave of absence for work. What do you do about income? Short-term disability can really help out with that. It gives you a percentage of your income just like you would get your paycheck. You get, you know, that direct deposit into your account and that can help. It helped a ton. FEMLA basically holds... Your job, family medical leave is, I think, family medical leave absence or something like that. or act. family. Yeah, there you go. Family medical leave act. It doesn't guarantee pay while you're gone, but it guarantees that you, they will hold your position. This is what often women take when they have a baby. They take six to eight weeks of femla leave, and then they come back and they have their job. So that's what really helped us a lot is having the femla leave in conjunction with short-term disability because we really needed to maintain your benefits in order to get you the care that you needed and I feel we were really lucky in that respect a lot of people when they go into treatment they've burned so many bridges they don't have a job anymore they have to have family pay out of pocket and sometimes they have to you know they have to have family pay out of pocket or hope that they've got money in savings or otherwise to fund their treatment, and treatment's not cheap because you're staying there twenty-four-seven, working with therapists and otherwise.
1: You are basically in a hospital. I mean, for mental health, that's when you're in treatment, that's what you are. So, just kind of liken it to the expense of being in a hospital. You're being cared for. You're being treated for the disease that you have. And I do want to say, you know, I mean, that they probably could have washed their hands of me pretty quickly. And um, so I really appreciate that they were willing to work with me and, you know, get me through as much treatment as they could. They put me on, they went from short-term disability to family. I had a bunch of sick leave built up. So I continued to receive paychecks and, you know, was technically under their employ for 90 days
0: which was wonderful. And I'm really grateful to this individual for working with us to get this all figured out. And, you know, they were generally concerned, too. I mean, they cared about you. They were certainly frustrated and disappointed and, I would say, angry with your behavior. But they really did want you to get better. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. I was there for almost 30 years. I mean, when I was officially discharged, I I was less than a month short of 30 years at this place. So, you know, they were my friends too. They, you know, they weren't just coworkers, you know, they were friends. And I do believe the concern was genuine for sure.
0: So that's what was going on during your six days of detox on my end for the most part. It was making sense of the story of your substance abuse and kind of figuring out all of the people that needed to be cut out and not trusted. Also, trying to handle the benefit aspect of insurance and payment and FEMLA and so on. And then I think the most important thing was treatment didn't stop with detox. You had had an addiction for... About 30 years, give or take, uh, depending on what substances, some longer than others. Mm-hmm. And you needed a higher level, long-term care plan to get you back to a sense of normalcy and balance. So I started to research rehabs. And, you know, I think we all know what a rehab is. We've seen movies. There's that Sandra Bullock, 20 day- days later. We all heard of AA. But honestly, I was really ignorant when it came to rehab and what to expect and what to look for.
1: I believe we prefer the term treatment center, not rehab.
0: <laughs> so I was Googling treatment centers. Actually, I think I was Googling rehabs near me. I love Google. I was like, rehabs near me. <laughs> what do they say about them? And also understanding too your insurance, and what was covered. And I think one of the key things was we wanted an in-network provider because the cost can be so different between an out-of-network. Uh, a lot of the out-of-network providers that I spoke to wanted like twenty dollars to $40,000 up front before they'd even let you come in the door. And we didn't have twenty dollars to $40,000 up front because a lot of the money...
1: You would have, if you'd have just caught me six months earlier. I
0: know. It's so true. We had sold your house, and you had a decent amount of cash from that. And my recommendation was just to save it. I didn't really want to do anything with it. I didn't want to buy anything fancy. And you had kindly offered that I could use it to pay off my student loan. I had an MBA that I'm still paying off. And I said, thank you so much. I appreciate that. But let's hold on to it for a rainy day. I regret not taking that money and paying off my student loan. I really regret that.
1: Well, I'm sure some of the days that I was spending it, it was raining.
0: The, technically true. I think spring <laughs> it was raining, but... All that money that had come from the proceeds of your home sale was gone. Your personal checking account was upside down by like seventeen hundred dollars. Your personal credit card was also had a had a balance of I think several thousand dollars. And I went to log into your account, anticipating that there'd be like sixty plus thousand dollars in savings, to seeing a negative amount, and that was that was a bummer. That was a big bummer right there.
1: Initially, when I received the money from the sale of the house, we did open up a joint account that I put I think it was what ten or fifteen thousand into.
0: You did, and I actually went logged right into that account and moved that savings into another savings account and took your name off that joint account just because I wanted to protect the funds and make sure if you were to leave treatment that you wouldn't have access to a large amount of money to make drug purchases from. But on a positive note, you did not touch anything in our joint account. Everything was as I expected, but I'm also one to log into my bank accounts on a daily basis, just to double check the balances and make sure there weren't any fraudulent charges.
1: And as messed up as I was at the time, I, that you know, that was intentional. I knew that would be a red flag to you and would potentially uh, get me caught. But you're not going to miss 60 grand if it's coming out of my account.
0: <laughs> and you know what? I told you to save it. And so, you know, that that's on me for not, like, taking it for the student loan or otherwise. And that's, honestly, it's funny when people ask us about our experiences and what bothers people the most I have a sibling and the money thing for them would be their deal breaker and they said well I just I don't know if I could stay married I just wouldn't want to have anything to do with them if they took all that money and I said "Eh, you offered that to me to pay it off I should have taken it It's, it's on me Sure. It would be nice to have $60,000. Yeah, it's
1: your fault, Amy. It's way totally to my fault. <laughs> I don't know if I can deal with this. Although, you know... You w- cost me a lot of money.
0: <laughs> the way the market's gone last year, <laughs> you had we invested it, it wouldn't be worth $60,000. Like, it would have been two years ago. So uh, I also did an analysis on the money. And I looked, I think about 10 years back is what your bank keeps... Your transactions It's like 10 or 12 years. And I have a background in auditing. And so I did just that. And I categorized the spend. And I looked at where the money was going to. And I was able to really see where these drug purchases were. You could see it by ATM charges. You could see it by prescription refills. You could see it by direct transfers to drug dealers. So that was a very eye-opening experience for me. And I, I shared that with you. I think during, you know, your inpatient rehab treatment and I wasn't there to shame you just to say, hey, I think you should just see, just so you see where the money is going historically. And on the positive side, if you get sober and stay sober, you'll have a lot more money. You'll be richer because you don't have these costs of, of funds going out all the time. Drugs are expensive. So in researching rehabs, we looked at treatment centers that were in network, but I really didn't know what was the best treatment for you. And at Detox, they had sent some referrals to you. I think you had met with some individuals representing these rehabs to talk about your treatment plan.
1: Yeah, this was day 4 of detox. Um I met with three separate centers and I like to refer to this as kind of my Scrooge story here. I uh, was visited by three ghosts. And the first two treatment centers came in and, you know, I don't I wasn't familiar with them at all. I uh, with treatment centers, period. So, I wasn't even sure what to expect. I had seen a little bit of TV on some of those reality shows where you know, they they don't really paint them in the best light as far as the environment. But, uh, you know, the first two came in, talked with me. They were friendly people. You know, they had beautiful places to go to. And, and you know, I was still kind of swimming in fog. And so it was, you know, it was, it was a little bit of uh, overwhelming saturation for me to listen to it. But... The third treatment center that came and spoke with me um, was Kathy with Turning Point. And uh, from that day forward, I've referred to her as the ghost of Christmas futures. And so when she came in, she brought in what their weekly schedule was like, the activities that I would be participating in off-site, on-site, and um, I just remember after she left and, and I started thinking about the three visits is that she was offering me hope, not just a bed, not just a place to be for 30 days. But it was, you know, it was really overwhelming to me that that was the place I should go. And uh, so when I called you, I think you mentioned at the time, or maybe it was you found out, prior, you knew that they were in our network uh, on insurance. And so that just made it even better. And so that was when we made the decision to go to Turning Point. And and, uh, that's really probably my favorite detox story was just that Kathy is my ghost of Christmas future.
0: And it was great because you went immediately from detox. They picked you up and drove you straight to the treatment center and you continued your care from there so I wanted to ask you what did you do during detox how would you spend your days um
1: they had kind of classes uh that you it was really very chaotic but you'd meet with a doctor every day they'd take your blood pressure every day they took my blood one more time at some point during the week and um this was one of the classes one of the doctors came in and that was my first exposure to the neural pathway theory of which is really not just theory i mean it it's scientific fact of uh, the way it works but it was it was all lost on me i was into it and i wanted to know but it was just so much that i didn't understand and it's it's like they were just Coming in and saying who's thirsty, and then throwing a bucket of water on us. You know, it's like so you you maybe get a few drops in your mouth, but otherwise you're just sitting there soaked in it, and you maybe absorb a little bit of that water through your skin over time. But uh, it it certainly wasn't thirst quenching at the time. Um, I did get really close with a half dozen people in the detox center that were there for most of the 6 days that i was there, you know, you're all everybody in there wants the same thing, you know, they want to be clean. They want to be done with whatever abuse of whatever substance they might be involved with. So, um, you know, i started writing down some of their stories, kind of like almost conducting an interview trying to figure out especially with those who were in treatment multiple times you know, what made you relapse, and and that, you know, bonded me to a few of them. Um, I haven't spoken to anybody that I was in the actual, in that wing with. Uh, I did end up in treatment with a girl from the other wing that I had just met at the cafeteria, but uh, it it was just kind of going through the motions. I just remember waking up every morning, first thing I wanted was a beer, and that's really when i realized that you know while i went to detox to get off of drugs that alcohol was really the root of all of the other addictions that i possessed and so you know a day in the life of at a detox center is it was a little chaotic i don't ever remember being bored you know they they would have a couple of those classes a day and then you're meeting with a doctor and you know just kind of hanging out with the other clients in general and you know I mean everybody has a story to tell and I just remember thinking every one of them was was just a good person that had made some bad decisions so it's uh you know it's it's not the most pleasant experience that I've ever had but it wasn't horrible they kept me comfortable I experienced no withdrawals whatsoever, which I was anticipating were going to be torturous because I, just due to the fact I had run out of drugs prior, um I knew how bad just those hours of being without the drug itself, how miserable that was. So I expected a lot of that, and I didn't get any of it. So, um there is one person I met in there who was one of the techs and it turned out he is Turning Point alum and I didn't know that until he came back while I was in IOP and and just talked with us about his experience but I remember him just sitting down with me for, I think we probably talked for like 45 minutes and I was just kind of picking his brain and and he shared some of his story with me at that time, which I just really struck a chord with me and, and, uh, you know, we'll go more into that as we go through the residential and at the other levels of treatment. But he was one person that had a huge impact on me early, um, that just, you know, I can't thank him enough. Um, every time I see him now, I, I shake his hand and and just remind him of what that meant to me, that he took that time to speak with me. So, uh, other than that, come Friday, day six, about 4 p.m., Bobby showed up from Turning Point and picked me up, took me up to the treatment center. And there was uh, Matt sitting there waiting to do my intake. And uh, Matt is somebody I'm also pretty tight with these days. Uh, he's, he's a funny guy, but I won't will not dive too much into that but he cracks me up. He's got that dry sense of humor and he he'll crack a joke and everyone looks at him like, "What?" and I'm like <laughs> Anyway, uh so that's kind of how detox went for me.
0: When did you know or at least agree that you were going to go to a treatment center? Because I feel like early on you thought detox was going to be it. You'd be back home back into the swing of things and this would all be behind you.
1: Yeah. I think that was probably, uh, day three, which was Tuesday that when I woke up and again, that was the first thing that popped in my head was that I wanted the beer. And, you know, I'm starting to realize the true devastation I had laid on you and my children and, you know, family in general, close friends uh, that, um, you know while i was in addiction i really didn't feel like it was out of control i felt like you know i was fine and obviously i was hiding it very well because people were blindsided by it but but once i realized the damage that i had done not to mention the the fact that you know i wanted the beer that it, so badly i mean the drugs were a second thought after that, it wasn't, that wasn't what I was waking up craving. And that's, I think, when I realized I, I did need further treatment, that I wasn't going to just go into detox, get cleaned up and be able to walk out there and be fine and have a, an occasional beer here and there. So about day three, really.
0: What things were you allowed to keep in detox and what things did they need to lock away or have you check out?
1: Uh, they took anything that you could uh, tear up and weave into a rope, like all your clothes. We had to walk around naked. We got
0: Lies. N- <laughs> Lies.
1: It felt like they took everything. I mean, they took, you could, if you wanted your shoes, you could have them, but you had to take the laces out of them. Fortunately, I'd packed a pair of slippers. Um, anything that they considered a safety hazard, they took. Razors, dental floss, uh, they. They pretty much, I mean, over half of what I had packed, they kept.
0: And no access to a cell phone. Although, I don't think you took, you didn't take your cell phone with you. No, you kept that for That's me. true. For research. For sleuthing. <laughs> for sleuthing. But they wouldn't have given you your cell phone anyway had you nope. had it on you. Also, you could have access to books, though, and things like that. Didn't they have mm-hmm. activities and other things?
1: They did. Um, you know, the the group's sometimes were activities and, and I was involved with anything they threw out there. There was one day where our pod didn't do an activity because most of the people at that point were in residential, but I could see over across the main front desk there of the pods over in the psych ward, they were doing an activity and I just asked the nurse, I said, can I at least go join in theirs? And, um, So they let me hop over there. But, you know, the activities were kind of, I think, meant to be a little thought-provoking, but also, you know, maybe just to help in case there was boredom to keep your mind off of what you were going through. Um, You know, they they did have the TV in there, but the only time I really remember sitting down to watch TV was uh, the Monday night football game that, that was played that second night that I was in there. Other than that, I didn't really watch a lot of TV. Um, It was just more interaction with other clients and then all of the standard, you know, things that, that the classes, courses, whatever. I don't know if you call them classes. I don't even know what their term is for it, but...
0: Classes sound right. Now, we were also able to talk to each other and you were able to contact other people, I recall you had to have a passcode and you had to be on the allowed list. So they wouldn't just take anybody's call. They had to know the number it was coming from and the name and then you had to supply the passcode and then they would contact you like, like from the nurse's station to take the phone call.
1: Yeah. And there was just one cordless phone there. So if, you know, if somebody wasn't on it you could take phone calls and, um, Other than calling you and I think my son and my daughter, um, I didn't really ever try to call out to anybody during that time.
0: Didn't you also talk to your, I think you talked to your sister and my mom or some other kind of family members, it seemed, but I could be confused. I did talk to your
1: mother and I think I talked to her a couple of times. Actually, she was um, really supportive and for being angry with me at the time. She was, she was very encouraging My sister, I think, had called me. I may have tried to call her back at one point, but she called me a couple of times while I was in there as well.
0: So you weren't completely restricted from the outside. I also had an in person visit with you. I think it was on a Wednesday evening. Mm -hmm. Uh, They only have visiting, I think, like twice a week. Seemed like it was. Yeah. So that was the only opportunity that we had to talk face to face and that was a stressful visit because all the information was new to me and you were starting to learn about everything that I knew and also coming to terms with shame and Mm -hmm. the reality and also getting, you know, through the physical aspects of, of getting off of drugs.
1: Yeah. The shame really started to sink in as the week went on, you know, because a lot of the stuff that you were finding out about me that week, I was finding out about me as well. You know, I, there there were things that, you know, that I was told that I was unaware of, but were fact. You know, there was plenty of evidence to, to prove that. And so, yeah, that was uh, certainly an interesting
0: week. So what advice would you give to someone that is being encouraged to go to detox?
1: Well, my advice would be go. You know, I I didn't want to go. I it really with the intervention, it just kind of came down to if I don't go, I'm I lose all of this. You know, this is you know, this is where I have to start so that I can keep what I have in my family. And you know, it's so for me to give advice, I you know, just go. I mean, if you're tired of being in your addiction, which I I didn't like it anymore. It wasn't a fun thing. It was a basically survivor survival mode every day was, you know, take the drugs so you can function. And it wasn't fun. So, you know, if you are tired of being locked in addiction and you want to get clean, my advice would be go do it. Go do to detox if you're being offered if you're being nudged if you're being pushed if you're being dragged you know go but with that advice would come don't just do detox because you know getting into treatment to try to figure out why you use what it is you're running from is crucial at least i feel for me (laughs) that has been a crucial piece of me staying sober uh you know digging in and finding out what what these traumas were that that i maybe long since buried that that i'm hiding from what what am i trying to mask what pain am i trying to push down by using so my opinion, and I'm no doctor, I'm no therapist, but detox is not going to be enough. Detox is a start and I highly recommend it, especially for people battling alcohol and benzos. You know, it's, that is a dangerous situation to try to, to self detox off of those. You, you can, it, it can kill you, but you know, get in there and clean up. And while you're in there, you know, Fortunately for me, I had you guys on the outside doing all the legwork for me, trying to find treatment centers. But, you know, you need to go to detox and then go straight into a treatment center. Don't go home for a few days uh, because for me, I know what I would have been doing if I had gone home first.
0: What would you have been doing?
1: Answering questions from you guys. (laughs) Rehab sounded much better than that. (laughs) Let me just say, if had I gone home to uh, even a semi unsafe environment, I mean, I don't, I probably wouldn't have been able to come back here from detox, even for a couple of days. But it it wouldn't have mattered which family member I went with. You guys were all banded together in this, and you know, I might have been safe, but I, I wouldn't have wanted to find out. I think it was crucial to go straight from detox into treatment
0: and i believe that's what turning point also wanted they didn't really want anybody to pick you up and take you there they didn't want anybody you know that
1: it was like they knew
0: (laughs) it's like they they understood that the possibility of of relapse was there and i did get permission to pick you up i ended up having something else conflicting because we weren't quite sure what time you were going to be discharged so turning point picked you directly up from detox which was great and i'm glad that they encouraged that i'm glad that they understand the risks involved of going home or even just stopping somewhere on your way to treatment you want to continue that care that covers our six days in detox and what was going on in our respective lives while you were in an inpatient detox hospital And I was on the outside. Again, it sounds like jail. Like, you weren't in jail, and I was home. You know, hanging out, watching Netflix. That's all I did. It's It's kind of
1: like jail, except we didn't get a lot of yard time.
0: (laughs) And you didn't get any fancy suits, jumpsuits, or sweats?
1: Nope. Just the clothes on my back and my (laughs) (laughs) six-string.
0: Thank you bon jovi speaking of songs
1: yeah this week's song whew, it was a close one too we almost ended up with a real bomber
0: i liked the song you were ripping on it
1: it's just overplayed but you want to use it somewhere down the road maybe so, so yeah. i'll really save my ripping for that episode <laughs>
0: uh
1: this one is don't like the drugs but the drugs like me by marilyn manson take it a take a listen and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we appreciate the support. There are some big things coming down the pipe for us. We're pretty excited. We've got some some news that we'll wait to share until we get all the uh, loose ends tied up. But uh, we're kind of happy about what's coming down the pipeline here.
0: Definitely. It's, this podcast has been good for us. Yep. We enjoy talking to each other sharing our thoughts and sharing other people's stories so thank you for listening and now listen to a little bit of i don't like the drugs but the drugs like me i'm glad to say that uh, you don't have to sing that tune in your life anymore
1: well they still like me I just have boundaries now. <laughs>